Good morning, everyone. Let the festivities begin. Schultz and Freiburg are in the studios of the Mary Griffith Show, brought to you by Harvest Ridge Coffee and Refreshment Services, Pepsi. And uh, the way this is going to work is I don't know what the heck is going to happen next, but I do know that Jack Freiburg and Chuck Schultz always come prepared to talk about something fantastic. And uh, so we're just going to let them take it at that. Uh, Jack, I did have a suggestion of something to talk about, but if you don't want to take my suggestion, you don't have to. What did you bring to talk about today? Well, I brought, uh, first of all, an update on the Historical Society and the uh, John Wood Mansion tours, because we've got an additional tour, ad- additional item for uh, that people will be interested in okay. this year. Well, please tell us. Well, um, every year we do the the mansion tours with it decorated for Christmas, and it's really it's really beautiful to you know it's it's just first floor, but it's always really beautiful to do that. And they start tonight; they're on the fifteenth, sixteenth, twenty second, twenty third, and the twenty sixth. And the tour times are five, five twenty, five forty, six o'clock, six twenty, and six forty. And uh, John Wood and Mrs. Wood will be leading you through the mansion. Uh, the mansion is always beautiful, but in addition to that, this year um, we are uh, going to kick it up with we have toys from our collection on display and a lot of very unique items that you're probably not going to see anywhere else. Uh, you know, for instance, a 19th century Shakespeare game, which uh, might have been a big hit at the time, but uh, I don't know anybody that's played <laughs> the Shakespeare game lately. Uh, That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty, yeah. I think, I think Chuck knows a few uh, people that could probably I hustle mean, that. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't uh, brushed up on my Mercurio lately, for instance. <laughs> And we have a teddy bear that's a polar bear, for instance, and just uh, a Santa Claus doll, and there's a 19th century doll stroller, and I mean, it's just, it's just a bunch of pieces. See, we've we've gotten a couple of doll collections throughout the years, and we actually have 600 dolls in our collection. And um, we need to be doing something with them, but we have stuffed bulldogs, and I mean, they're just a they're just a whole bunch a of whole unique bunch of to items. To, so if you've gone in years past, come again. Yeah, because every year is a little bit different, and every night there's a different musical entertainment. I know Logan Camera is tonight, Eventide Singers are tomorrow night. Uh, the Javo Music School is going to be there. So there's always something Quincy Symphony Chorus, but again. Reservations are requested because Hal and Kathy Oakley are paying for everyone to go. So they really don't have a limit. I mean, the Oakleys will pay for everybody who wants to go, but there is a finite limit to the number of human beings who can be packed into the place at one time, and you want it to be comfortable. So 222-1835. Correct. Call for a reservation at the night you want to go um, because that way, you know, it's just a little bit easier for the docents as they take people through to kind of keep the crowd even. Yeah, it's it's really something unique every year, um, you know, because the music changes too. And so, if you get a chance, please go ahead, call and make a reservation. Um, it, the tours are always pretty much sold out, so try and get your to, your date in, you know, your date in advance, and make that call pretty quickly. Okay, on that. sounds great. What else is on the well, agenda Mary, today? I, can I, uh, 
Chuck, I'm not hearing you. Move to another microphone. I don't know why that microphone. Try that one. Cut me off. Oh, that one's better. Well, and I'd be interested for Jack's take on this, but, you know, there's a little local controversy. The alderman can't decide whether to pay some firm $15,000 for Planet Fitness to come to Quincy. And, you know, first of all, we all know Tom Marks doesn't need anybody's help attracting tenants to his properties. He is the master of it in the tri-state region, no doubt. Yeah, so that's the whole thing, though. If Tom Marks did all the work, why should we pay that company? Why are we paying him anything? Why would I want to subsidize with my tax dollars Planet Fitness to come to Quincy? You know, that's not Target. They don't pay sales tax at Planet Fitness. There's no tax on services in Illinois. So what are they going to do? They're going to undermine the Croc Center and the YMCA and the QU Fitness Center? I mean, it's fine for them to come. That's free enterprise. They come on their own. But why would we pay somebody? You know, like I say, Tom Marks is fine. He can do that on his own. But isn't that the argument? It's not the argument that they don't pay sales tax. The argument truly has become Tom Marks has come forward and said, excuse me? Uh, I did all the work on that. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you want to give somebody fifteen grand, I'll take it, but don't give and, it to somebody else. But I'm sure that that uh, that firm that has a contract is going to look at the look at their contract and, and what say, it anything says. Anything can happen. You're right, Jack. And it's like a real estate. And they're going to say, "Hey, they came here during so our. Why did we, we get we, involved with we, that? You know, you know if, if we get involved in it or not, you still owe us fifteen grand because they relocated. Well, we have there. a lawyer here, so well, I mean, and, Mr. And Schultz sure would take either side and could aptly argue either side. <laughs> I'm so sure. contractually, they may well uh, have their point. But my point is, you know, we don't want to subsidize people to come in here and compete. Uh, you know, we never subsidize retail. And I watched Jim Mentesti take our city limits basically from 48th to 63rd Street. And none of those people got any subsidy. You know, not only did they not get a subsidy, we made them pay to signalize the intersections, build their roads, do the landscaping. You know, I give Chuck Bevelheimer credit for that. He knew they were going to come anyway, and they asked for all these things. You turn them down, they still re- they well, still come. Well, and the city needs to do what it needs to do to improve the traffic flows on the infrastructure for the infrastructure that's done out there. There's that that all needs to be coordinated without a doubt. But in this question, in this case, I think what we have really is a reading the contract versus a moral obligation here. Well, and, I mean, if I hundred percent believe never that. been in those before. Yeah, Tom Marks said it, he didn't have. He did it all on his own. I hundred percent believe that. Uh, uh, well, I think the thing that's interesting is they fired that company. So this is they. You know, a new company's been hired. It's so incredible. But why are we hiring anybody when this is what Greta's supposed to do? This is what the city's supposed well, to do? Well, no, this wait a what? minute. And I'll play devil's advocate on that because I've asked Kyle Moore that question directly. And one thing Kyle said is that he cannot pick up the phone and call every retailer in North America saying, are you interested in expansion? We have a place here in Quincy. This company is like the matchmaker. That's how he described it to me. He was the matchmaker between the city of Quincy and this whatever, Target or whomever, would be coming in. But um, let's continue the conversation. You don't think we need a matchmaker? You think the Chamber of Commerce, Gretif, well, who should be doing that then? Gretif should be doing that, huh? 
Well, I watched Jim and Testy, and I went with him. I sat by him as he would. I can remember meeting with the CEO on the East Coast, and he said, we're very flattered, but we don't come to towns your size. We're not in any town in America less than 100,000 people. And Jim, with Chuck Bevelheimer's help, and it was a team effort, he says, here's what you're going to be locating in a 285,000 people shop in Quincy on a regular basis. So you're going to be selling to folks in Keokuk and Hannibal and Pittsfield and Carthage and whatever. And they came. Uh, but you have to tell the story. And, yeah, you do. You need to get your foot in the door. You know who helped us a lot in those days? Uh, Dale and, uh, Curlin Jr. and Gary Curlin. They were in 110 malls. They understand retail and uh, offered a lot of insight and assistance to us. Well, I do years. remember we got a men's clothing store, and I can't remember, but it's out of Boston. I remember we had that men's clothing store. Well, Joseph off. Bank came. Joseph Bank, yeah. And, and like, uh, they've never, they're like, Nobody thought that could happen because they were never going to come to a town as small as Quincy. And they did well. They never lost money here. They only closed because there was a national merger with Men's Warehouse. They closed the Springfield, which was also another profitable store. Uh, but, yeah, those women that ran that made money. And Jeff Shooking said he loved having another men's store. You know, Andy Nicholson always used to tell me he wanted another jewelry store right next to Damon Well, see, see, one of these national stores change when Kmart K- shows or Shopco closes or what have you. Sears. You know, it's, not a, it's not a reflection on us. Those are no, national no. things yeah. that are gone here locally. But, by God, when you close Elders, you hurt me. Ah, never been uh, replaced. And I think, there, I think there's a lot of people that feel that way on those local family businesses that have been here for generations well, and when they is, close. This those. is one of the problem. Everybody, I, if I hear one more person say, I wish we had Olive Garden, I say, have you eaten a tiramisu? No. Uh, way over Olive Garden. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Olive Garden, but it's like, are you kidding me? I've had people tell me that it's better than any place they ate in New York, Tiramisu. Yeah, it's real people. I mean, these are real people from Italy. They know how to make Italian food. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> you know, a restaurant. You know, they they know how to run a restaurant. I mean, I've I've had, I've, for instance, when I was working, I would bring reps in from St. Louis and Chicago that were insurance reps, and some of these were Italian guys, and and they would all say the same thing. This is one of the best Italian restaurants I've eaten in you know, anywhere. We've been talking about retail. The Sansones, who developed Prairie Crossings, right. loved tiramisu. I know. That's where they always had their meetings. They, the they, they, yeah. they bought it one night for the whole night and had a big party for everybody. But the way they found out about tiramisu is they first came to town. It was Sansones. you got Mr. Sansone Sr. and these five good-looking Italian sons out of St. Louis, and they all live in a big family compound, quite a group. So they are staying uh, downtown, and they ask the clerk at the front desk, what's the best restaurant in Quincy? Just go across the street to the patio. They went in the patio, and Mark Nieswiner, he's there to meet him. That's why he was so successful. And he says, what can I do for you guys? I said, oh, we're looking for some pasta. He said, well, you know what? I could make you some pasta, but if you really want some pasta, you ought to go down the street to tiramisu. <laughs> And that made such an impression on Mr. Sansone Sr. He personally brought that up to me several times, that Quincy is a town where people would send you to their competitors so you'd have a better experience. You know, and that is so true, because I was walking into Tiramisu one night, and this big black SUV pulled up with these guys in it. And they said, hey, is this a really good place to eat? And I said, absolutely, Tiramisu is great. They said, we're looking for a big, fat, juicy steak. I said, don't come in here. I, and I took him around the corner to, and I can't think of the name of it, Boodaloo, I guess at the time. Now it's something else. But it's like, go to the patio or go to Boodaloo. You know, I said, because if you want that, this isn't it. 
you know. And I think that, and this is my pet peeve, you sit in a restaurant and you hear somebody go, what's there to do in this town? Or what's there to see in this town? And the waitress goes, there's nothing to do in this town. I can't wait to get out of it. It's like, excuse me, I couldn't help it over here. I'm the nosy native Quincy, and here's ten things you can do with your family while you're in town. So a lot of it, you know, we need to help. But but back to, let's talk about the problems with the Quincy City Council, and they're myriad. And since you both have, you know, a differing <laughs> venue on this, this thing with the police chief, this guy apparently cannot put forth a report. Now, there again, you're both business people. How long should we wait for this stupid report about all the infractions in the Quincy Police Department hiring process before we say, why are we spending this money? Exactly. Why are we? I mean, this guy's been completely unresponsive. Uh, It's outrageous. And the whole complaint thing, from what I understand, and I don't have any real inside knowledge, is it's uh, sour grapes. You know, somebody that didn't get chosen and apparently didn't even make the cut to get interviewed and said, you know, who thought maybe he had an interest. I don't well, know, but my you have an investigator who's never talked about, to the commission. Well, that egg's been laid. Let's move on. Yeah. I mean, you know, there comes a time and, where and you have... we got a great police chief, and he's and, doing and, a tremendous and, job. And, and there's no doubt about it. You know, uh, he, he was in the system, knew what was going on, knew the politics of the job. I'm telling you, let's move on with this and get put this yeah, but behind this. Move us. on, and there's twenty five thousand dollars out of my and, pocket. And, and well, and 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 that's the problem with this. I mean, move on is fine, but it seems like every time we move on, it costs us a fortune. It's kind of like I'm glad we had an insurance policy, so that when we got hacked as the city of Quincy, you know, our insurance policy paid the ransom. You know, does anybody, I mean, I don't know what you do. I mean, if I was the mayor, I would have probably paid the ransom, too. I mean, at what point do you say, well, we have to? Well, you know, But, I mean, if, if this is the way business is done now, you're in the insurance business, do we all have to have a policy now so that we can afford the ransom when we're hijacked? Well, the, the, that cyber insurance came out quite a few years ago, probably 15 or 20 years ago, and at the time it was very affordable. And the co- contracts were real narrow. Well, you talk about an uncreative industry. Um, the insurance industry is definitely it uh, because it takes it a long time to adapt. Well, the policies that they're selling when I retired had all these different sex- sections in them that were provisions like so much for, for ransomware that they would pay a limit for that. And then you have to provide monitoring if you're hacked for so many years. And I mean, there's, there was all these different pieces of that policy that exists now. And with all the publicity that's happened on this, I mean, my son's a physician in Baltimore and he talked about a, a hospital that got hacked. And they could not get into the software. Well, people were dying because they couldn't get into the software in that situation. I mean, in other words, this 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 hacking can have dire consequences. And there's no doubt there's need for the insurance. But, I, you know, I just, the whole idea of being a hacker and shutting a hospital or shutting a city down, um, I that just comes from a mentality that's so far from my own. I just really can't imagine. Well, that. I was chairman of the board of elections in July of 2016 when we were hacked by the Russians. You know, people say there was a Russian hoax. They didn't have anything to do with the election or whatever. Well, no, they they got 76,000 names out of our uh, database. Now, of course, 
what Ivan over there, and they've actually indicted a GRU colonel that did that uh, hacking. You know, he's never going to come to America and get arrested, but he was indicted by by Mueller. But what they didn't realize is, you know, you and I can go to the courthouse and get the voter file. Exactly. There's nothing top secret about what my name, address, and voting record is in Illinois. That's accessible. But in any event, they were, it was just, you know, trying to disrupt the process. Well, and there's a certain amount of risk management on the vote, on, on voting because of the fact that all those files are kept locally. You know, uh, when you talk about, um, you know, entire states and entire, um, I don't know. Voting should be local. The records should be local. As much of it should be kept offline as possible. Absolutely. So there is no so there is no risk of all of that. So, I mean, so the state voter base is online. It's well protected. I hope by now. But you're right. The voting process has nothing to do with the internet. People think some guy from across the ocean can manipulate a vote total or something. No. Yeah, the polls, you, uh, they're not connected to you anything. You go out to the Knights of Columbus yeah. and you vote and they count it and they post it on the door there and yeah. they drive it down to the courthouse and it's counted in a machine that's not connected to the internet. It's just a, like they read a multiple choice it's, test. It's one step against ni- above 1970s punch cards yeah. right the way I get it's it. It's like when you take your but change that's all down. Good. It's all local and even though what is transmitted then to Springfield, they have a dedicated they call it the Illinois Century Line or something but it's not on the internet. It's not accessible to anybody. Well, of course you know, we can, closer to the election we can talk about how the problem is no matter what you try to tell people even if you've been involved like I'm, I'm i'm a former poll judge and i'm trying to tell people you know there's no way that that could happen i'm not saying it couldn't happen at some other higher level but i mean where i sat there as a poll judge there's no way you can put 82 extra ballots in that yeah. machine you know it cannot happen it's just a box it's not connected People to anything. There yeah. is an elaborate system of yeah. testing and calibration that goes on, and then verification after that. And we got a great county clerk here. Uh, we are very fortunate in Western Illinois. You don't have a thing to worry about in terms of election security. Well, we've got to take a break, or I'm going to have job security. But oh, we love this when Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz get on a roll as they are, and uh, I'm loving every minute of it. So, folks, you know. Stay tuned. We'll see what happens next. We're back. Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Uh, we've talked about everything today. I can't even remember, but mostly uh, Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz are a little bit concerned that the city of Quincy has to pay these people to bring businesses here that don't pay sales tax. And uh, also, uh, you know, investigations into things, which we always want a non-corrupt government. But God, I'll investigate it for twenty five thousand. Hire well, me next time. I, you have to ask yourself a question: Why did all the local people turn down the opportunity to investigate it? Because apparently, well, there's nothing there. I, I think your report would be turned in a lot quicker than this guy. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Uh, so, yeah, Mary, that's so true. But let's talk a little bit about local history because we just witnessed the passing of a truly great Quincyan, Jeff Spear. Um, people know Jeff for a variety of different reasons. Some of them know him from his great athletic career. Some of them know him from his service uh, club membership. Some people know him from his uh, philanthropy in the community. And most people know him because he was the owner and operator of the local funeral home, Hanson Spear Funeral Home. But Jack Freiberg, you made you noticed that um, his son, Nick, who now lives in the state of Washington, brought 
didn't bring his children to the visitation because, I mean, you can't expect the kids to stay there for seven, eight hours, which is what it took for everybody to get through the line. But you made a comment to Teresa, uh, the widow of Jeff Spear. Well, but I actually made two comments to, to her. One was, um, if you look at Nick, there is without a doubt the Spear family there, 100%. But if you look at Will... There's Wally Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I, the second thing that I said to Teresa is both that family and my family has been here for multiple generations. Charlotte and my mother were very good friends. And that if I knew Nick's children, I would know five generations of Spears, which is pretty Great remarkable. Yeah. And they've done so much to comfort people in their grief over the century. And Jeff yeah. made sure that he was going to heaven because... For years, he always was a great giver to the Lutheran Church, to St. James Lutheran Church and all of its causes. He had his funeral at the Episcopalian Church, and the um, memorials went to Quincy University, a Catholic institution. So this guy's covering the bases. You know, he's going to make sure he gets up to heaven on one of those elevators. Well, That tells me we never had a bigger supporter for our community than Jeff Spear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I'd absolutely. And that entire Spear family. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And, and huge that, companions. Yeah, and and they I've had good seats at Cubs games before. I had Jesse White seats one time, you know, who was Secretary of State and former Cub. And I thought, man, this is great. We're right here between home plate and the first baseline. And I looked down like the, like the front row. It's all the Spears down there. <laughs> Yeah, see, he organized through road. Oh, he's had a oh, lot yeah. of trips he to Chicago rooftops. And, the, yeah. the trips where we would go up on the rooftops and yeah. and uh, put that together, and we would go up on the train. and Or one year we flew up when we had the uh, uh, United Express going up, and uh, it was it was just quite an experience for the day. Well, we will miss him uh, and our condolences to the Spear family, and we will miss Jeff very much. And the, the great news is that... Uh, you know, Will continues to work here in Quincy and carry yeah. on that charitable There's work. There is a legacy, and there is a legacy. And Nick, of course, gave his time as a as a war veteran and uh, has his family out in Washington. So, so things are looking good. You so, talk, Mary, yeah. I wanted to tell a history story Please this morning, do. if we have time. And we Jack Freiberg is the leading hunter and fisherman around this whole tri-state area. I would give that crown to Glenn Sanders myself, but go ahead. This is the story of this. He got paid to be a hunter and fisherman. (laughs) He's a professional. (laughs) You're (laughs) a guy, so no doubt about that. (laughs) So Sny Island Drainage District, some people say it's the largest in the country. Some people say it's the second largest, but it's huge. It's uh, 54 miles of Mississippi River from Marblehead to Pleasant Hill. And uh, the way that that was created is a really fascinating story. Father Phil Habing, who uh, hopefully a lot of your listeners still remember Father Phil, philosopher, uh, Franciscan, uh, great teacher. Well, he wrote a book. He was a folklorist. He wrote a book called The Wildcat Whistle, and it tells the story of the Sny Island drainage district. First of all, why it was called Sny Island. It was an island. The Sny River came out of the Mississippi about East Hannibal and ran along east. You know, when you're going through Rockport on 57 there, the left side of the road to your east, that's that's the bluff. The right side, down below the highway there, that was the Sny River. It went all the way through there, came back in, I think, between the Louisiana and Clarksville. So between the Sny River and the Mississippi River was Sny Island. 
which was this big, swampy hunter's paradise, no doubt. Wildlife Uh, habitat to the nth degree. So they decide they're going to create this drainage district and farm it like they did with Lima Lake. It used to be a lake. So what they didn't figure on, they blocked up the Sny River up there at East Hannibal from coming out of the Mississippi. Well, there's a guy in Rockport that had a very successful mill. And the mill was run by the water from the Sny River passing by, and it, and it disappears. So he doesn't take this line down. Now, this was created by an act of Congress back in the 1870s, but that wasn't going to bother him. So he is described as hiring 100 roughnecks and bringing them up on a barge from St. Louis with pickaxes and shovels to bust open and let the Sny River run back through its course. And uh, so they, they're out there trying to break it. They wire Quincy. Quincy sends, you know, I don't know how we could get enough people to confront 100 roughnecks, but they sent down some sort of a local militia from Quincy. And the best part of the whole story is the guy, the guy that owned the, the mill who had hired the roughnecks, when the authorities arrived from Quincy, he escapes on one of those railroad hand carts that, you know, from the uh, (laughs) he's going down back to Rockport, working his way on a handrail. So that's the creation of the Sny Island Drainage District, which I guess now you'd probably say is about the the best farm ground on God's green earth. Now, what Uh, year was that, Chuck? It's 1874. 1874. Wow. So, obviously, people wouldn't know that there was a Sny River, like you say. We wouldn't know there was, you know, in all these years. And I've reported on the Sny Island Drainage District. The thought never occurred to me to ask, why Sny Island? And this is why you guys are great, because you bring history. So, 1874, the Roughnecks. We're successful for a moment, but not completely. If, if anybody can find a copy of that book, I have one, Wildcat Whistle, Father Phil Having. It's got some great stories in there. I have there. a copy of it. Do, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got pictures in there of catfish that are like six and a half feet long. Yeah, because I've, I've read that book, but I haven't read that book for a long time. I was fascinated by it when I read it, though. Well, he became friends with an old riverboat pilot. Do you remember? Now, Mary's younger than us, but I'm saying like the mid-60s, Quincy made the national news because three barges broke loose, I think, around LaGrange, and they were floating down the river, and it was a big deal, a hazardous waste thing, I think, was it a component. But anyway, this guy was an old river pilot, and he was one of the ones who corralled those uh barges back in the in the 60s, and he had all these stories, and thank God he made the connection with Father Phil. Because he, he lived, Phil documented all this and, for and, him. You know, I think we've talked about uh, Ted Crowley on this show in the past, and he was there on Third Street. We went back right above the intersection. You see, it'd be across the street from the Elks Club, up on the bluff. Uh-huh. There's a little house back there, uh-huh. and that's where this riverboat pilot lived. Uh, so he, the, some of the pictures of these... That was one of Crowley's properties he was living well, in? Well, Crowley's part, I don't know. He Crowley had the big brick right, right on 3rd Street. Right. This is all the way back to it's actually just above 2nd Street. Okay. Uh, I think Martin Burrell might have owned it at one time. Mm. Uh, you know, it's beautiful. You, you, it, you stand there and it looks like you can step right out on the Bayview Bridge. Spectacular view. And, of course, Ted Crowley, for those, uh, and how can we uh, say who he is? I don't want to defame him. I don't want to get sued. Uh, he had, uh, some people thought he had ties to 
underworld figures and criminal activity. But on a, on a much higher level. On well, a much higher level. He was involved, whether he wanted to be or not, he was questioned about the uh, Martin Luther King assassination. He, he was subpoenaed to appear in front of the House Assassinations, the special committee that they formed back in, I believe it was 78. And he did. He went and he took the fifth. But James Earl Ray's brother, Jerry, was in the Gem Tavern, which is a little tavern between Vermont and Hampshire on the west side of Fifth Street, right there on the out. It's torn down now. But he was in there the day before the assassination. And Jerry, the brother, you know, Ray clearly had help. I mean, he went to Lisbon, Portugal, for crying out loud. You know, and this guy was not a genius by any means. Uh, but they think that when they, he talked about this mysterious Raul, that that was his brother, Jerry. Now, he had a brother, Larry, who robbed the Liberty Bank years later and was tried here in Adams County. Well, that was the one where they couldn't find the money. Was it? Yeah, yeah. They, they couldn't find the money. They caught him out in a cornfield or something? <laughs> no, uh, he, it, there was a flashlight in his car. I, I think that's right. There was some, there was, and he had uh, taken the battery out of the flashlight and jammed a whole bunch of money in the body of, you know, it was one of those big, uh, um, I yeah, don't remember like, what the right yeah. square size battery, I don't know what the right size for that is. He took the battery out, and he went ahead and jammed all the money in the flashlight, I believe, and they couldn't find it because it was just a flashlight. Never thought about that. Well, I think years later, they dug that up, and they found all the money in this flashlight. Wow. Well, he the Rays, a, you know, have a long a history too. around here. He had a, a sister that suffered from some pretty Melba. severe mental yeah. illnesses, and she would be seen walking around town, and she was a, a somewhat tragic figure. She often carried a cross. Kyrick carried a cross and a teddy bear. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this Larry Ray, uh, my grandfather had dealings with the original James Earl Ray, who was the James Earl Ray, the assassin's uncle. And this, uh, when Larry Ray got tried for on the bank robbery, my uncle, Richard F. Schultz Jr., was the presiding judge. And this guy went nuts in the courtroom and threw over the counsel table. They ended up putting him, there's a, there's a way you can go on the third floor of the courthouse and look through a glass window and observe the trial. And that's what he ended up doing. It was all like an Adolf Eichmann thing or something. <laughs> but uh, the Rays have a long history here. And in James Earl Ray's autobiography, uh, which is Full of lies, but there's a picture in there of when he was in school in Ewing in a one-room schoolhouse. There's about eight or nine kids in the picture. You can pick out Ray right away. And one of the other fellows in that picture was uh, Dean Phillips. Oh wow! Quincy so a, a tale of two people who had the same upbringing there and went go. totally different paths. Dean I Phillips. I asked Dean Phillips about that, and he said, "Yeah, that's me in, barefoot at school in his overalls." And he said, we're living in a house we paid $2 a month rent at a dirt floor. And he became the wealthiest man in Quincy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's so amazing because, again, from the same basic, very, very modest background, but the Phillips family instilled some moral values and some get up and go in their barefoot overall child. The Rays were and generational the, criminals. Were generational criminals. And I guess that's the way life goes. And these are the stories that we love, really, the criminal well, you know, stories. Next time you go to the Croc Center, when you walk into the Croc Center, you're walking right past James Roy's house. He lived on Vermont Street between 4th and 5th there. Okay. Uh, and the first run-in he ever had wasn't with the law. It was with Ted Crowley. 
Because Ted had an establishment next door, and it was in the summer. Window was open. Fella had his pants on the back of a chair, and a seven-year-old James Ray decided to just help himself with that guy's wallet right out of that window. And he found out that that was Ted Crowley's establishment. So, And the reason the man had his pants off was because Ted Crowley's establishment, well, it was kind of like Match.com back then, right? Nobody ever swiped left, Very though. short term. Yeah. You know, Quincy's that, wild and woolly Quincy, past. Quincy has a wild and a woolly past. And, uh, boy, you guys, I love it when you come because now I know all about Sny Island. I know a little bit more about Crowley, although... The James Earl Ray, I want to tell people, if you get down to Memphis, Tennessee, you've got to go to the Civil Rights Museum, not just because it's a great museum about America's struggle with civil rights from the beginning that the white man first established a foothold on, you know, the northern American continent, but because there is a whole floor, the whole second floor of the annex is devoted to James Earl Ray. So Quincy gets quite a bit well, Mary, of, you know. You know, Jack is taking a leadership role with our bicentennial coming up in eighteen or in 2025, 200th anniversary, and we're trying to figure out a timeline, 1825 to 2025. So, of course, Lincoln Douglas debate is going to be on there, uh, Robert Gardner, uh, birth of Paul Tibbetts. Yeah, Paul Tibbetts. But the you know you got to put James O'Reilly in there, too. I guess you have it's to. Well, you have to put the good and the bad. I mean, history history is is composed of all elements, you know, and and we need to do that because what we're trying to do is put this timeline together of about forty five items or so, so that if you look at that ruler and you'll you, it'll be a teaser for you to be able to go and and research something further with that. Once we get the timeline, we can put that on the back of a semi and take it to the Payson Old Settlers. Uh, we have a proposal even to make it a permanent display, perhaps, at the courthouse. You know, a great yeah, big, long a great timeline. great big, gigantic but, timeline. Yeah, yeah, teach people about our history. Well, that would be great. Well, we've got only about three minutes left, so dazzle us with something before the well, new year comes. Well, I had a couple things happen to me here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I ran into John Freiberg, who I've known since high school, um, and and I because I, we had talked before when I'd run into him, and I said, "Well, wait a I, minute, I thought you were John Freiberg." I am John Freiberg, but nobody knows me as that. But this is the other John Freiberg, the one that's Fre- a good-looking guy that's sixty-four years old that went to high school with me. That John Freiberg? No, that's a, it's still different. Still a different John, John Freiberg. Freiberg. This okay. John Freiberg's a year older than me. His oh dad gosh. was Frank Freiberg, and his brother's Frank Freiberg, the 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 builder. But anyway, I said to John, I said, uh, who's your great-grandfather? And he it answered with me, to answered me like most people do. I don't know. Okay. And I said, well, look up and see who your great-grandfather is. And I ran into him at Home Depot. And he says, I did that. My great-grandfather is Casper Freiberg. And I said, well, he's my great-grandfather, too. We're second cousins. So we knew we were probably related, but in Quincy anyway, um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't move away from here that live here for generations. You know, one of my ancestors, great, great, great grandfather was Nicholas Heinz, started the Heinz shoe store on Main Street. Thirteen kids. So if you're a whole scrap or a schlep horse or a craven or a Schultz, you elected mayor. Well, and, All he had to do was get his cousins to vote absolutely. for Absolutely. But see, and because and, and I, 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 John Stegman and I are, are second cousins, too, from, from my grandf- grandmother Freiberg. 
she was a Vandenboom was her maiden name. And her dad was was um, Joseph Vandenboom, who was one of the co-founders of Moeller and Vandenboom Lumber right, Company, Company here. Yeah. All right. Well, his dad was Clemens Vandenboom. So that would be my great-great-grandfather. Now, here's the kicker on Clemens Vandenboom, which I just recently found out. Okay. Clemens married his first wife, had six kids with her. She died in her 30s. Married again, had six kids with his second wife. So my uh, great grand, uh, my great grandfather, all right, had twelve siblings. I mean, eleven siblings and himself that were either full brothers and sisters or half brothers and sisters. How do you straighten that out? That makes for a great Christmas party. No doubt. I tell it. you what, you guys have a merry Christmas, have a happy New Year. Give my love to all your families. And we will do, are we going to do this again in 2024? Are you re-upping? We're not going anywhere. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, That's the plan. I'm, I'm trying not to go Thank anywhere. Thank you. Very I don't Merry know. Christmas to Thank you and you. to Thank all you. your loyal listeners Always out there. to be here. Great to have you guys.